0: Welcome back to another Wednesday night Bible study. And tonight we're going on to chapter 48. Let's open with a word of prayer and get straight into the study. Our Heavenly Father, we pause to give you thanks, Lord. We just uh, praise you that we have access to these ancient scriptures, uh, scriptures that were written thousands of years ago and were written for our time. Uh, We thank you, God, that we have access to this knowledge. We pray that it will deepen our understanding, that it will deepen our faith, And that it will dictate our course in the future we thank you lord and we ask this blessing in jesus holy name amen so brethren let's uh, get into isaiah chapter 48 and there were a few questions from last week that at the end i'd like to come back and answer those but for now let us uh, get into our study and i apologize i just had to restart my uh, bible application so let me get that loaded also let's just do something with the video here it just looks like um just uh, just on the chat if you can just confirm that you can hear me and also see me clearly i would appreciate that while i get this uh, started okay just uh, working with the software this afternoon and making sure that everything is working properly. Uh, So let's get started. Okay, this is uh, Isaiah chapter 48 beginning in verse 1. And just confirm on the chat that you can hear me clearly. I'll I'll get started here. And uh, if you can just confirm that. Yes, everything's good. Thank you. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 48, verse 1. Hear you this, O house of Jacob. So we began in chapter 40, and the focus, in fact, in chapter 1, the focus has been very clear that this is a vision for Jerusalem and for Judah, and by extension, it's also speaking to Jacob. And so now God is very clear about who he's addressing. It's the house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel. So this is very important that these people have the name of Israel associated with them. And of course, Israel prevailed with God. So God's name is embedded within Israel. So the house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah so now we're very clear who we're talking about, the people who've come through Judah. Now, God goes on though, <clears throat> which swear by the name of the Lord. Okay, well, that sounds good that they swear by the name of the Lord. Sounds positive. And make mention of the God of Israel. So this the God, the creator wants to be very clear about who he's talking to and who they are talking about. And they are talking about the God of Israel, not the God of the world, not not anybody's God. It's a very specific God. It's the God of Israel. So they make mention of the God of Israel, but then God goes on to say, But not in truth. Uh Uh-oh, this is a problem. They make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth, nor in righteousness. Not my words, the words of Isaiah, or the words of God through Isaiah that they make mention of the God of Israel, so it's the right God, but not in truth, nor in righteousness. For they call themselves of the Holy City, and stay themselves upon the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. So we want to be very specific about who we are talking about. And last week in chapter 47, uh, we're very clear that the Lord of hosts is his name. He says, as for our Redeemer, the Redeemer of Israel, As for our Redeemer, the Lord of Hosts is his name, and then more specifically, the Holy One of Israel. So it's very important that we understand he's the Lord of Hosts. That means there's an army that is with him. We know he has the the righteous, when he returns, he's returning with the righteous angels. The the, uh, first fruits will be resurrected, he'll be returning with the righteous angels and the first fruits, and he'll be establishing an army in Judah. And he's coming to fight the lord of god is coming to fight he is he is a god of uh, a god of justice and he's a warrior and he's coming as a warrior so <clears throat> let me just something here. so he is he's coming he, he wants us to understand he is the lord of hosts and he's the holy one of israel so he is only coming to fight for israel and that's it for nobody else Uh, And this is very hard for the nations to understand that God will... salvation is in Israel, salvation is in Judah, and the whole world has to acknowledge that the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, is the God of Israel exclusively. And that for anyone to have salvation they have to come through the portal or the portals, the 12 portals of Israel. He's the Holy One of Israel. Now that he is not just the lord of hosts the angelic hosts the first fruits as hosts but also the tribe of judah we see this in zechariah chapter twelve verse six when he says in that day the day when he returns will i make the governors of judah like a hearth of fire so so they're they're just going to be this uh... burning cauldron that will just burn up their enemies uh... so he says, in that day will I make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood, and like a torch of fire in a sheaf. They're going to be deadly. So these people that were... Jerusalem was surrounded by armies, they were being terribly persecuted, they were being decimated, and the land was made desolate, but the remnant, when when God finally returns, he says that uh, if he did not cut these days short, no flesh, that is, no Israelite flesh, no no Jewish flesh would be left, saved alive. But because of the elect, he's going to act and stop it before they wipe these people out. And then he's going to give them power to fight against their enemies. And that's what we're seeing here in Zechariah 12. And they shall devour all the people round about. So what we saw in Luke, the prophecy that Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies. And we see right now all the Islamic nations that surround Israel and all the prophecies they have that they have to destroy the Jews, every last Jew, and they have to take Jerusalem. So that is all happening now, and this rise of anti-Semitism, which, you know, when I was in high school, it was like, I just kept hearing, never again, never again, never again, and yet we're seeing this anti-Semitism all around the world, and nobody is objecting to it. They're allowing it. In fact, they're endorsing it and supporting it, and now the Palestinian cause has become very popular. And so Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies. There will be this devastation there. And yet when when Jesus Christ returns, he's coming to his people. And he's going to give them power to fight against their enemies. And Zachariah sees it and he says, they shall devour all the people round about. That's how powerful they're going to be on the right hand and on the left. And Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place. So much to the chagrin, of the enemies of Jerusalem who never want to see it inhabited and and want to wipe out all the Jews, Zechariah sees a time when the Jews will will have the power to fight back and and Jerusalem will be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. So it's just so magnificent that Zechariah has to repeat it just to make sure that we understand that it really will happen. The Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first. So when he returns, the Lord of Hosts, when he returns with this angelic realm, and he returns with the first fruits, that he's coming to Judah to save Judah first. His priority is Jerusalem. And that's why Satan's priority right now is Jerusalem, because he's trying to negate God's plan. But God is coming to save Jerusalem, and he will save, and that's why we are told to say unto Zion, to say unto Jerusalem, to say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God. So we need to understand what the agenda is for God in order to make sure that we are preaching the right gospel to the right audience. And so Isaiah is very clear, comfort my people. Say unto Zion, say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God and your God reigns. So we have to understand what is happening in the world today and what is our role? How how can we be sure that we are relevant We don't want to become irrelevant. And so we have to understand what is going on in the world. The Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first, and the glory of the house of David, and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In that day, when Jesus Christ returns, his top priority, because where we're heading, is a focus on the destruction of Judah. And that's why Christ is returning to redeem his people. And so in that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They're going to be under attack, and he's going to defend them. And he that is feeble, that is among the Jews, he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. So that the weakest Jew will have the power of David supernaturally. God is coming to empower them. So that they can fight against their enemies he's the lord of hosts and the house of david shall be as god and the angel of the lord before them and it shall come to pass in that day that i will seek to destroy all the nations that come against jerusalem this is the holy lord speaking that there, there is a controversy between god the people of god and the nations and so when this beast power governs the whole earth, and everybody's in a single agreement, the agenda will be to destroy Jerusalem. And so God is in that day when he returns, he's returning, it shall come to pass in that day, that I, that is Jesus Christ, will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. So if we have any love for these nations, and specifically these are Islamic peoples, that hate Jerusalem, if we have any love for them, we need to warn them that you don't want to do this. You've been misled. Whatever ideology, whatever scriptures, whatever doctrine you are intoxicated by, it is false. And you're going to end up in a very sad place. You need to open the Bible and read it for yourself. Whatever you've been told about it is false. Get a copy of it, open it up and read it for yourself and see that your prophet is in complete contradiction with all of the prophets of the Bible. All of the prophets of the Bible are all saying the same thing. And here's Zechariah saying that God is coming to destroy the enemies of Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. The exact same thing that Joel saw. That in, in the last days, God is going to pour his spirit out upon his people. Upon his people and they will prophesy, and they will dream dreams, and they will be having, they'll have visions. And this is what uh, Peter thought, that this is the end time on the day of Pentecost in the first century, uh, because he thought that this was the time that it was just a foretaste. So Pentecost was just a foretaste of the actual fulfillment that Joel was seeing. And here Zechariah is seeing the same thing, that, that in the last days, that God is going to pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications and listen to this and they that is the Jews shall look upon me that is Jesus Christ whom they have pierced they destroyed him and they are now going to acknowledge him and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn there's going to be this wholesale repentance in Judah, and there's going to be this broad acknowledgement that they were wrong, and that Jesus Christ, in fact, is their Messiah, and he's going to empower them, and he and his people will finally be one. He says, going back to Isaiah 48 now, so, so the Lord of hosts, he's a Lord of a great army. That army is angelic, that army is the firstfruits, and that army also includes Judah, the house of David. And he's going to empower the Jews on earth to fight against their enemies as, along with the angels of God and along with the saints of God. He's coming with ten thousands of his saints along with all the holy angels. And he's coming to do business. Isaiah 48 verse three, I have declared. This is very important Now we're gonna see this declaration by God. And, and, and this is again why it's so important for us to get the prophecies right because these are things that God has declared. And if we say it incorrectly, we're making God a liar. So we have to, what is it that God has declared, and we need to declare that. He says, I have declared, and he really, um, this is a big point for God, that he has said this beforehand. And this is the proof of the Bible. There is no book on earth that speaks of the future in detail. And all of the naysayers, All of the atheists and the agnostics and the confused we just have to open the bible and say here's what's going to happen in the future and here it is outlined in detail and then they can just sit back and watch and as it unfolds they will have a lot of uh, a lot of questions to ask themselves and they will know that one day they will have to face the, the author of this book he says i have declared the former things from the beginning so all these things that have happened God said they would happen from the beginning. And they went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them. I did them suddenly, and they came to pass. So this is who we're dealing with here. This is the true God, that he is the only God that can say in detail what is going to happen, and then bring it to pass. And this is the power of the Bible. This is why prophecy matters. It's the only book that can do this. So he he said that what was going to happen, and then it happened because he's the one that made it happen. He, and why did he do this? So then he explains to his people why he why he declared in advance what was going to happen and then brought it to pass. He says this is why. Because I knew that you are obstinate and your neck is as iron sinew. So he, he says the reason I did this is because I know how stubborn you are. This is, this is how much God is committed to working with this people. He knows their character, and so he's, he's kind of uh, fencing them in. He's putting them in a corner so that ultimately they have to acknowledge him because he's not going to divorce them. He's not going to drop them. He's committed to this people and ultimately to bring Israel back, but he's committed to Judah. He's not going to divorce them, uh, but he knows what they're like. And so he's working with this human nature to say because I knew that you are obstinate or stubborn and your neck is as iron sinew and your brow brass. That is quite a description of a very stubborn people. And we see this. In fact, David saw this when we read the Psalms. If we read Psalm 78 in verse 5, he says, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. So there's the declaration again, that that he's given this to these people so that they can teach them to their children. And those children can teach them to their children so that generations yet to come can declare them to, to their children that they might set their hope in God. That all these things are gonna happen, but they can set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And listen to what David says in verse eight. And might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. So God is very clear. These are are not uh, holy people because they are saintly, because they are perfect, because they are a noble character, they're holy people because they are descendants of Israel. And God is in a covenant relationship with Israel. It is through Abraham an unconditional covenant. So God will not back away from this covenant. So despite the evil of his people, he is still going to fulfill his promise in them. This is a very important thing for us to understand and to get clear because of where the world is going. And because of the job we have of preaching the good news, the gospel, the good news to Zion, preaching the good news to Jerusalem, preaching the good news to the cities of Judah, and preaching the good news to the world, to all nations as a witness. We need to be very clear. So they're going to accuse the Jews of being evil, and rather than defend them and say, no, they're not evil, we're going to say, you know what? They're actually more evil than you say. Because when we read the scriptures, God doesn't pull any punches. He says these people are wicked, but they're his people, and he's going to save them. So, so what's your argument now? If your argument is that they must be destroyed because they're wicked, uh, and, and they're wicked because they, they broke the Sabbath, God says they are far more wicked than that, and yet he's still committed to them, the true God. So they might not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. Unfortunately, they were just like their fathers. A generation that set not their heart right and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. So, so David saw that, that that was the whole purpose that they should teach their children so that their children don't follow in their stubbornness. And yet, unfortunately, Christ came and they were stubborn. They rejected him and you know, the rest is history or it's actually prophecy. Back to Isaiah 48. God says, I have even from the beginning, God said, even even from the beginning, I declared it to you. Before it came to pass, I showed it to you. Lest you should say, my idol has done this for me. So again, this is just the wickedness of these people that even though God is the one that saves them, God is saying, I know what you're like. You're gonna give credit to your idols because these are very idolatrous people, even though they're God's people. He says, I I told you beforehand, and I showed it to you, lest you should say, my idol has done them, and my graven image and my molten image has commanded them. And we see this in Ezekiel, this idolatry, and it's in in, uh, Jeremiah, it's all over. These are very idolatrous people, right from the beginning, right in the Torah, we see the idolatry of Israel. But here in Ezekiel 20, verse 32, Ezekiel writes, and that which comes into your mind shall not be at all. So they have a thought, they have an intention, they have an agenda, and and God is prophesying here it's not going to be that way. That which comes into your mind shall not be at all, that you say, we will be as the heathen. So we're going to be like the people surrounding us. We will be as the heathen, as the families of the countries to serve wood and stone. And so this has always been the proclivity of God's people. Instead of teaching the heathen, they follow the heathen. And God says, you know, I'm telling you beforehand what's going to happen, so that when it happens, both the cursing and the blessing and the salvation, that you don't say, oh, it was my idols that that helped me. That because it was all foreordained and it was all pre-written, you have to say, you know what, this truly is the work of Yahweh. He goes on to say here, back to Isaiah 48, you have heard, see all this, open your eyes and look at this, and will not you declare it? So I want to deal with that declaration again first. God, first of all, God declares in advance, so that his people can see that he truly is the God of Israel, and he truly is working with them. Who can write in advance what's going to happen, and then bring it to pass? So he wants them to see that he declared this in advance, but then as a result of that, he wants them to declare it. So that's Isaiah 48, verse 6. Let's deal with that declaration first, because we've seen it already. In Isaiah 43, a couple of weeks ago we were there, he says, you, that is Judah, you are my witnesses. So I know there's a movement called the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, They are not God's witnesses. His people are his witnesses. He says, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. So God has chosen these people as his servant, and they are to be his witnesses. That you may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. So it is a very strange relationship that God has with these people, so that they can come to see that truly, the God of the universe, the creator of this vast, vast universe, is in fact the God of Judah. He is the God of Israel. And, and, and it's just, God has chosen to work through this tribe. And he says, that you may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed. So this is the God of the universe. Neither shall there be after me. And then in verse 12, I have declared. The God of the universe has declared. <clears throat> he says, and have saved. And I have showed, when there was no strange God among you, and we covered that when we were in chapter 43, therefore, so because of this declaration of God to these people in advance, so that they can see that he truly is the God of the universe, and he truly is in a relationship with them, because of that, he says, therefore, you are my witnesses. So it's because of his ability to declare in advance, specifically for this people, that because of that, they are his witnesses, which means they have to declare, says the Lord, that I am God. So they they are the witnesses that he is God. And so they now have to turn around and tell the nations, our God is God, and do that with absolute confidence. In chapter 44, he says, fear you not, neither be afraid. So you're surrounded by enemies, people who really hate you, but don't be afraid. Haven't I told you from that time and have declared it. This is, this is what, this God is, uh, I could say, he's hanging his hat. His credibility is on the fact that he declares in advance. This is why any of us who are teaching prophecy, we have to teach it accurately. Because if we teach it inaccurately, then the thing that we're teaching will not come to pass, and then God's credibility is shattered. But the God of the universe is saying, I'm hanging my credibility on my ability to predict the future. And I've declared it in advance from the beginning. I told you what was going to happen in the end. And so he says, don't be afraid. Haven't I told you from that time and have declared it? You are even my witnesses. So these people are the only people that can say, we have received this scripture. And we were told in advance what was going to happen. And it happened exactly as the scripture says, even though the scripture is thousands of years old. And so, we can confidently declare, our God is God. You are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yeah, there is no God. I know not any. So, um, all these claims of the pagan gods notwithstanding, none of them can do this. And so, they're all false. And we don't need to believe any of them. But this God and this scripture, we can believe. Back to Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 6. So the first part of this verse was that you have heard and see all this won't you declare it and then he says I have shown you new things from this time so this is now a shift so there are things that he said in the past and now he's saying I'm showing you new things from this time even hidden things and you did not know them So now there's a shift. There are some things that were written anciently and they have come to pass. But now God is saying, now I'm gonna show you some new things. And you didn't know these things before. These are hidden things. These are mysterious things that I'm now revealing unto you. And back in chapter 43, we saw this as well, where he says, behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. So this is something that wasn't done before. Now God is doing it and it's a new thing. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So this is the new thing that God is going to do. He's going to bring salvation to these people in a new way that they didn't know before. And he says, I I will do this. And so we know that he's going to uh, raise up Cyrus, a a, a secular king that is going to uh, save Judah from Babylon and not for gain. There's nothing in it for him. He's just going to be moved by God, a secular king, to save these people. So God is going to do this new thing and Cyrus is a pattern that is laid down that predicts the coming of the Messiah. So Cyrus is a type, he's a Messiah, the anointed one, but he's a type of Christ. And so uh, Isaiah has this dual vision where he sees near term which would be about 150 years from the time that he's writing but he also sees long term and the ultimate fulfillment and the ultimate fulfillment is in christ and so the way isaiah writes you can tell that okay yeah he's talking near term but also some of the language that he uses which is so ultimate that clearly that was not cyrus and that was not uh, the original or the the babylon that uh, uh, cyrus conquered that there's an ultimate where he's going to conquer Babylon and Assyria together in the end when Christ returns. And Isaiah sees both. And so this new thing, in terms of the Messiah, he he wrote in chapter 9, and we will go back to chapter 9 eventually, but in chapter 9, verse 6, where Judah can write, For unto us, that is Judah, a child is born. So this is a brand new thing, that God is going to come into the earth, in the form of a child. This has never been done. This is a new thing. The Messiah will come as a child. For unto us a child is born, unto us that is Judah a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. So a child is going to be born that is going to be called the Mighty God the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, so there's going to be all this warfare, but are going to put an end to it, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. God is so zealous about this. He's going to do it. But it's a new thing. That that he should come to earth in the form of a child. The creator of the universe will visit human beings and condescend to man and be born as a a baby to a poor family. And he will be called the mighty God. They they didn't know this. This is a new thing. Back to Isaiah 48 and verse 7. He says, they are created now. So these are things that I didn't tell you before, but I'm doing them now. They are created now and not from the beginning. So there are things that I told you from the beginning, and many of these things have come to pass, but now I'm gonna tell you some new things that I'm starting now. And and you didn't know these before. Even before the day when you heard them not, lest you should say, again, this is the the reason he's doing this is he knows how the, the nature of his people. And he says, I'm, I'm telling you these new things that you didn't know before. Before he says, I told you these things uh, beforehand, so that when salvation comes to you, you don't say, Oh, it's my idols that did this. Now he says, I didn't tell you these things before, but I'm telling you them now, lest you should say, Behold, I knew them. Oh, I, I already knew that. It's very interesting how God knows his people, and he, he's working with this people, but he knows their nature. And regardless of their nature, he has chosen to be committed to them. So I I don't want you to say that you knew this before. This is new. Yeah, you heard them not. Yeah, you didn't know them. Yeah, from that time that your ear was not opened, for I knew that you would deal very treacherously. So what? What is God saying here? That his people are treacherous. And you were called a transgressor from the womb. So this this is not a uh, God is not saying I've chosen these people uh, because they're the best of mankind. So if if you are uh, convinced of the Quran, then you as soon as you accept Muhammad, then all of a sudden magically you become the best of mankind. You because you're a Muslim, you're the best of mankind. God doesn't do that with His people. He says I've chosen you, and I know how treacherous you are, but I because I am God and I do not go back on my word, I am committed to you. So these people, in fact, let's just take a look um, at this and just understand uh, that treachery is not the reason for God to turn his back on his people. It says here, so this Imam on Friday, he's not gonna mention all the despicable traits of the Jews, but he's confident that he can repeat some of their traits mentioned by Allah. And everybody on Friday, they have to come to the mosque and be subjected to this. Uh, So we know who our enemy is. So so these are the enemies of these people. They They accused the prophets of lying and were hostile towards them. They fought the prophets and slayed them. The people we are dealing with are the people who slayed Allah's prophets. And who tried to kill Muhammad. They tried to kill Muhammad whenever they had the opportunity to do so. Another one of their traits is that they are cursed that they, and that they are deprived of the mercy of Allah. They are violators of agreements and accords. These are their despicable traits. You know, God does not disagree. <laughs> this is the funny thing. So all around the world, on every Friday, this is what's being fed into the minds of men and women. And they're coming out of this week after week after week being programmed to hate the Jews. And now they're, they're rising up in power and they're surrounding Jerusalem and they are filled with such hatred for these people, because these people are, quote-unquote, so treacherous. And the things that they are accusing the Jews of, the God of the Bible accuses the Jews of far worse. They are far worse than the Muslims say. And yet God says, I'm committed to them. This is not a reason for him to throw his covenant away. They're, they are—they tre- deal treacherously, and there are transgression transgressors from the womb. Now, why doesn't God throw these people away? They are so treacherous. God does not pull any punches when he describes them. They're, they're very stubborn people. It's very difficult for God to work with them. Why doesn't he just destroy them uh, the way Allah wants to destroy them? He says here, he explains, for my name's sake. It is for his name's sake. And, and, and what is his name? We know his name. Isaiah tells us he is the Holy One of Israel. He is the God of Israel. He is forever associated with Israel. Because he's made this covenant with Israel, he's not going to turn his back on them. So so these are very evil people. He makes it very clear they're very evil. And then he says, for my name's sake, will I defer my anger. God is furious with these people. But rather than destroy them, he defers his anger. Why? For his name's sake. He says, and for my praise will I refrain for you. Because he he wants to be praised in Israel. And so there has to be in Israel. And it is for the sake of his praise, for the sake of his name, that he defers his anger and he refrains. He says that I refrain for you, that I cut you not off. So, the Jews in the Koran are evil. The Jews in the Bible are treacherous and beyond evil. And yet the God of the Bible says, I defer my anger for my name's sake, and I refrain from cutting you off for my praise. Of course, Judah means the praise of God. Behold, I have refined you So so this is a process that God is taking them through where he says, I have refined you, but not with silver. I have chosen you in the furnace of affliction. So because of their evil, they have to go through this affliction, but this affliction is not for God to cut them off. He's saying that this furnace of affliction is how I have chosen you. This furnace of affliction is how I will refine you, and I, in, in the end, I'm going to have a people who are so repentant and so loyal and so committed to praising me because of what they've been through. This is, this is the God of the Bible, that he is taking them through a process, and he explains why. For my own name's sake, this is why, it is for my name's sake that I'm doing this, even for my own sake so so god is saying look i've given my word to abraham and i've put my name on these people and because of that i am bound to them and it's not because of them if it was because of them i would cut them off if it was because of them i would destroy them but it's because of my holy name and we read last week in psalms where god says i have exalted my word even above my own name so god takes his word very very seriously the god of the bible That's why when he declares, this is why when we say we're gonna speak for God, we have to be accurate and say the right things, say what he said, the way that he said it, because he takes his word so seriously, especially when he declares the future. For my own sake, even for my own sake will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? This name Israel, Israel, God takes it very seriously and he cannot have it polluted. And notice this, and this is very important, he says, and I will not give my glory to another. Now that is very important for all of us, especially in the church. So the Muslims are saying God is done with the Jews. He's now chosen the Arabs, and the Arabs are the special people. But Isaiah says that God will not give his glory to another, but we are just as bad in the church as Christians when we say that God is done with Israel and the church now replaces Israel we are spiritual Israel and God is done with the Jews he's done with the physical Israelites because now the church is Israel well hold up here God says how should my name be polluted that is these people who carry my name if I turn my back on them then my name is being polluted my name is being blasphemed and then he goes on to say very categorically i absolutely will not give my glory unto another so where is his glory then well we'll see this next week when we're in chapter 49 but let's just read ahead we're in chapter 49 verse 3 he said unto me you are my servant you are my servant o israel so who is his servant israel you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. God will be glorified in Israel. And when we say, oh, no, no, he's, he's done with Israel, the church is Israel, uh, we're saying he's, he's putting his glory in another. So all these Gentiles come into the church, and we say, yeah, you know, uh, that whole thing about Israel, God is done with Israel. It's now the Gentile church, and God's glory is in the Gentile church. That contradicts what God himself says. He says, I've chosen these people. I'm going to afflict them. I'm going to take them through the furnace of affliction so that I can refine them because I will not give my glory to another. I am going to be glorified in Israel. The church is being recruited to help God with his mission. And that's what we have to understand. We are first fruits that are are recruited to help God put the world right and, and set things in order and that's what we have to understand, he's not going to give his glory to another and, and, and so we have to get this really clear he said unto me, you are my servant O Israel in whom I will be glorified and that's categorical back to chapter 48 hearken unto me he, he's really pleading with them now this is, he, he's going to work with this people and he wants this people to understand that he has chosen them hearken unto me O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he, I am the first, I also am the last. And so this language of first and last, we see it in Revelation, that it's the same God. In Revelation 22, verse 13, the book ends with this. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And why that is so important is he is the only God that can declare from the beginning what is going to happen. And then because he's the beginning and the ending, he makes sure that everything in between happens exactly as he has orchestrated. So God is doing a very strange work now. And when and the we look at the world around us, it's changing and it's changing rapidly. And the Christian nations are crumbling, they're falling. And they're being, I'll say, I'll use the word invaded, overtaken by Gentile nations and and they're going through the, the the rule or the honor of the individual the importance of the individual the individual being able to act and operate according to their conscience that's all going away and is being replaced by collectivism now you belong to a group and you have to adhere to the morals and the ideas of the group and you're not allowed to think as an individual anymore and this is all setting us up for this global economy this global military force that's going to be ruling over man, which is not good for Christians. But it's all God's work. And he says, I'm Alpha and Omega, I'm the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And, and he's going to do exactly what he has prophesied to do. And so here, he pleads with Jacob to know that he is the first and the last. So they have to go back to the ancient scriptures, see what is prophesied in the future, and know that he's going to bring it to pass verse 13 my hand also has laid the foundation of the earth and my right hand spanned the heavens when i call unto them they stand up together so he's making it very clear i'm the god of the universe and i have control of the universe the whole creation that's who i am that's who's dealing with you and it's kind of hard for man to wrap our heads around this that the god of the universe condescends to lowly man and is committed to a a lowly tribe of people. And he will be glorified in those people. He says, all of you, assemble yourselves and hear. Which among them has declared these things? So the them now is the pagan gods. So I'm a god. I'm, I'm the Alpha and Omega. I'm the one who can, from the beginning, tell you in advance what's going to happen. And everything happens exactly as I say. Who among the false gods, who among your idols, can do this? They're all pretenders. This is the only scripture that has this this word that predicts the future in detail. So all of you, assemble yourselves and hear. Which among them has declared these things? So again, you see how important the declaration is to God. It's the proof that he's the true God, and it's proof of the false gods. They cannot declare these things. Then he he explains, again, he says he's going to do a new thing, and that's through Cyrus. And so he says here, the Lord has loved him. Pointing now to Cyrus. He, that is Cyrus, will do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be on the Chaldeans. And again, Cyrus is a type of the Messiah. And so ultimately, this is speaking of Christ. That the final resurrection of Babylon, that Christ will do his pleasure on Babylon and his arm will be on the Chaldeans. And again, it's very clear that Babylon is of the Chaldeans. So we have to know who are the Chaldeans today and where is Babylon. Because Isaiah is very specific. God is very specific. He's declared these things in advance. We have to get it right. He says, "I." Even I have spoken. Again, this emphasis on his word, his ability to predict the future. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. Speaking of Cyrus. I have brought him, and he shall make his way prosperous. Come you near unto me. Hear you this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. So these are things that uh, Moses wrote about. It's in the scriptures. It's something that it's not hidden from them. He says i have not spoken in secret from the beginning from the time that it was there am i and now the lord god and his spirit hath sent me thus says the lord your redeemer the holy one of israel so he said it last chapter in 47 now he's repeating it again here in chapter 48 that the that, that the redeemer is the holy one of israel he is tied to israel He's the Holy One of Israel. Israel is pathetic. Israel is uh, treacherous. Israel really is evil. But God came as a Jew to live by every word of God, to be the Holy One of Israel so that he can redeem Israel. That's the plan. That's what he's doing. And that's what we need to realize. This is. You know, oh, it's Christmas, uh, what is it today, the 26th or 27th? So it was Christmas uh, yesterday or the day before. And uh, oh, joy to the world, and Christ has come, and He's come for everybody, and let's give gifts to each other, and it's just clueless. Nobody knows what's going on. We need to know what's going on. That Christ came to earth to live as the perfect Israelite, to fulfill the terms and conditions of the covenant so that he can legally and rightfully inherit the Promised Land. But instead of doing that, he allows Israel, if they accept him as their savior, to inherit the Promised Land because he took all of the punishment. So this way, God is not a liar. When he tells Israel, this is what's gonna happen if you don't obey, and they said, okay, we agree, now he can fulfill all of that, and at the same time still save Israel because of the fact that the Holy One of Israel, came to earth, lived perfectly, and now is taking all of that suffering. And unfortunately, Israel is stubborn, they're obstinate, so they have to suffer. But once they look upon him whom they have pierced, you know, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, and those who looked upon the serpent were saved, that when this treacherous time in the future is going to happen, when they look upon him whom they have pierced, they will be saved, because he is the Holy One of Israel. He says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God, which teaches you to profit, which leads you by the way that you should go. I'm the one, you should follow me. And this is, you know, if we look, in fact, at the Gospel story in Luke, it ends in chapter 24, and when Christ has been crucified and buried, in fact, he's been in the grave now for three days and three nights, uh the people the disciples are walking to emmaus and christ catches up to them and there's two of them talking and they've given up basically they've left jerusalem they're heading back to their hometown and he says uh, so christ is asking like what's going on why are you so sad and so they begin to explain to him and then they say here in verse 21 of luke 24 but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed israel so when it's all over now, he finished all of his teaching, and then he was crucified. They, they believed that he was the Messiah, and now they're, they're despondent and given up because they had trusted that Jesus Christ would be the one that should have redeemed Israel. They never, ever said that, you know, we had trusted that the whole earth would have joy because Christ came to save the whole world. And, and we were just ready to wrap up gifts and give gifts to the whole world because Christ just loves everybody and he came to save everybody we trusted that Jesus had come to redeem Israel and beside all this today is the third day since these things were done then in 25 he says then he that is Christ said unto them O fools you idiots, you imbeciles. I've been teaching you all this time and you still don't understand. Oh fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So all the prophets spoke of the Lord coming to redeem Israel, not the whole world, Israel. And, and they gave up. They, we thought he was gonna save Israel and they says, you fools. You're so slow to understand that all the prophets have spoken this thing, God is not going to go against his word. And in fact, at the beginning of Luke, the very first chapter, so that was the end of Luke, chapter 24, let's go to the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 30, the angel said unto Mary, Fear not, Mary, so this is Gabriel talking to Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you shall conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name God saves. Yeshua, God saves or Joshua. So his name is God saves, God saves who? God saves Israel, God saves his people. Verse 32, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest, exactly what Isaiah said in 9, 9, 6. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, exactly what Isaiah said in 9, 6 and 7. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob for how long, forever. This is, God is committed to Israel, and, and Israel, because he's going to reign over the house of Israel forever, therefore Israel has to exist forever, therefore all those who have designs and schemes and plots to destroy Israel, they are working the work of the devil, because the work of God is to establish Israel forever. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end, exactly what Isaiah said. In chapter 9 verses 6 and 7 verse 54 he has helped his servant Israel so the prophecy is that Christ has come a child has been born unto us he's going to be the Holy One of Israel and it doesn't say here that he's helped the whole world in fact we know from Revelation 1 verse 7 that when he returns the the tribes of the earth are going to wail it's going to be a day of disaster for them it's not good news for the world but it's good news for Israel And he's come to help his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed the whole world. No. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Israel. He came to redeem his people. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us, for Israel in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. So Isaiah says, look, I declared this thing to you from the beginning, from anciently. And all the prophets that have come along, they have all seen this and they have all prophesied of it. And they've all been saying the same thing. And that's why um, Jesus had to open the scriptures and starting in Moses and in all the prophets, he showed them all these things that were prophesied concerning him. Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies. Israel has enemies and God is coming to save Israel from his enemies. So we have good news for Israel and bad news for Israel's enemies. And I think people don't grasp that the gospel is two-sided. The gospel is not good news, one and all, joy to the world, the Lord has come, uh, let earth receive her king, everybody be happy. No, not everybody be happy. You people who are doing the work of the devil, you're slaughtering, you're raping, you're stealing, you're doing all kinds of evil. Woe unto you! Woe unto you! It's not good news for you. Have your day now because Jesus Christ is coming and he's furious. And he's coming to save his people from their enemies. And from the hand of all that hate us. So there's a perpetual hatred. And we need to be aware of what's going on in the earth. Who is it that is spreading all over the earth today, that has a perpetual hatred of the Jews, that has a prophecy that they have to destroy all of the Jews, that is surrounding Judah today, that is surrounding Israel today, the the country called Israel, and, and that has an agenda to invade Jerusalem, that wants to take over Jerusalem, that is teaching their babies to hate Jews and to kill Jews? Who is this? And what is our message to them or are we just completely unaware of what's going on in the world to perform the mercy promised to our fathers this is mercy that has been promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant this is why he says for my own name's sake i'm doing this because he's remembering his holy covenant the oath which he swore to our fathers so this is a god who keeps his word it's not a God who makes an oath and then changes his mind. It's not a God who can lie. It's not a God that teaches his followers to lie. It's a God that honors his word above even his, his, his own name. So when he says something, he honors it. So he says here, The oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the ha- that we, that is, the people of God, not the whole world. In fact, the whole world are enemies of the people of God. So he's come that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And now he's speaking to uh, John. And you, child, shall be called prophet of the highest, for you shall, be called, you shall go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. And what will John do? to give knowledge of salvation unto the whole world? No. The world is the enemy of God and His people. It's to give knowledge of salvation unto His people by the remission of their sins. So that's Luke chapter one, chapter 24. That's what the gospel is all about. It's the redemption of His people. Isaiah 48, verse 18. Oh, that you had hearkened to my commandments then had your peace been as a river and your righteousness as the waves of the sea. So you can sort of hear the pain in God that he's going to have to take them through the furnace of affliction and he's regretting it. He's saying oh if only you had listened to my commandments which we saw in Psalm 78 they were supposed to listen to them teach them to their children so that their children could declare it to their children and God just says oh that you had listened to my commandments then had your peace been as a river and your righteousness as the waves of the sea. And we saw that when Christ himself was here, when he says, prior to the great Olivet Prophecy, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that kill the prophets. So Christ acknowledges. Yeah, they are the ones that kill the prophets. And stone them which are sent unto you. How often I would have gathered your children together, even as a hen gathers her chicken under her wings, but you wouldn't have it. And so now your children, are going to have to face desolation your children are going to have to face a level of persecution that is unprecedented but I didn't want it I didn't want it this way you wanted it this way because I would have protected them he says here behold your house is left unto you desolate and that's because they've rejected Christ for I say unto you you shall not see me henceforth until you shall say blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And we saw that in Zechariah 12, when God is coming to uh, save them. So just in the interest of time, it's 8.30 now. Uh, We're at verse 19. I think what I'll do is I'll stop here, and then I will continue, God willing, next week as we go into chapter 49. But I know that uh, there were a few questions that were left unanswered, and maybe there are some more questions from this evening. And I think I've got the technology working properly now, so I'm gonna bring in uh, Pastor Murray But I will ask that while I'm setting that up, uh, go ahead and put your questions in the chat or on Facebook, and we will uh, be able to answer those questions in real time. So let me go ahead and uh, bring in Pastor Murray. Hi there, Pastor Murray. Can you hear me okay? I can see you, but I'm not hearing you. So we can see you now, but I'm not sure if you can hear us. I don't think he can hear us. I'll just tell him. Okay, so let me see if maybe you can call me.
1: Just have him call me. Okay, so I'll just let
0: him know that we can see him clearly. Hello, can you hear me? Adrian, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you very clearly. How are you? Good. good. How are you? Good. We can hear you and see you. Perfect. All right. So uh, another, another good f- study? Sorry, go ahead. Another, another good study? study? Great, thank you. Um, I wanted I want to, to, uh, while, to uh,
1: while we're waiting, waiting to for some questions sometimes through, through on the chat, chat. Uh, uh, one, one thing, thing came to, to mind. mind. Well, uh, uh, when you read Isaiah 43, 43, verse 10, um, you to like Isaiah, 43, verse 10, 10, and he said, um, And i sure sure you me have chosen you may know me and, and believe and me understand that I am he, uh is the word word word. word uh, John John verse John 30, 31, John goes in and gives the uh, 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 reason, reason that he wrote his many years later, not version so that, that people would know, know that, that Jesus, Jesus is Christ, Christ in a sign and living in heaven
0: would bring life and faith That's really fascinating. Great, great uh, uh, insight there. Excellent. Any other thoughts, Mark? Um,
1: just, um, just from, just me, from the uh, uh, one of my uh, uh, recent recent questions come true. I wanted, wanted to go back, back and to make a good or opinion on, on replacing the theology. theology. Yes. Uh, for, for, uh, just from a, from a, 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 a point from down, down to uh, real and understandable terms, terms um, how, how different is misplaced-based the the theology from, from the, 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 interpretation the interpretation of the idea idea that we're in, in the study? study. Because both, both of us are long-time, long-time members, members of the Church, Church, of, Church God, of God and I'm, I'm sure there are many listeners who want and watching the video, of the video that are online, long-time Church of God uh, movement followers? Uh,
0: um, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a big, big difference. Do you agree? Agree. It, it is. Um, I'm just getting a message here that there's a bit of an echo. Can you talk again, Murray? Sure. Sure. Um, what, what the, the question,
1: question, question I asked was, was, was just just wanted, wanted to revisit the replacement the theology, theology concept, concept and, and how, how vastly vast different it is, it is from. Uh, um, the, the long time you teach in the church, in church God, God, where the church is replaced with um rather, um, rather than, than coming into christ real. and, and while, it while it seems like, like a small, small point, point it's, actually, it's, actually, it's actually it's actually a big big
0: big uh it really is um and i'm just waiting to see if uh so some people are saying they can't understand what you're saying. I'm hoping that uh, the echo has mm-hmm. stopped, but they are saying they're having a bit of trouble hearing you. I'll just repeat yeah, what yeah. you said, um, that what Pastor Murray was saying was that the replacement theology is something that even in the Church of God we have taught, in the sense that the Church replaces Israel, and how different is this teaching in Isaiah from that? And I have to say it is, it is very different, and I think maybe we have, uh, unbeknownst to us, unwittingly uh, picked up from the Protestants this notion that the Church replaces Israel. And the reason they... and they picked that up from the Catholics. And the reason the Catholics had that is, as these Greek philosophers came into the Church, that uh, they despised the Jews. They hated the Jews. Even even uh, Martin Luther, as the, one of the leaders of the Protestant movements, he hated the Jews. And, and you don't have to look very far to see men like John Chrysostom and, and Origen and others, and even uh, Martin Luther, to see how much they despise the Jews. And so they wanted to write the Jews completely out of the Bible. And that's where they, it was so easy when uh, Philo came along and gave them this whole allegorization technique to just allegorize everything. And that, that gave them the freedom then to write the Jews out of the Bible. And I think uh, to some extent, maybe we've inherited that. Uh, not, not across the board, uh, but to some extent we, we may have. Uh, i I have heard many ministers who do teach that god has not forsaken the people the physical descendants of israel and he is coming to save them Uh, and so i think we just need to be very clear that what isaiah makes clear to us and i think the prophecies just become very apparent when we don't allegorize when we just read it the way it's written uh, we can see that these if, if we are saying that no we replace um, Israel, then all of this punishment, this affliction, this furnace of affliction that God is, is not backing away from and is saying it's necessary to get these people to a point of repentance, then what we're saying is we need that. We, we need to be taken through that. But that doesn't make any sense because we've repented and we've accepted the Lord. And yet the prophecy is very specific that God has to do this. So I think we just have to read the scriptures and take them as, as, as the way they're written and get it right because God puts so much on the fact that He can declare the future in advance. And if we dilute that, or neutralize it, or negate it, then we're attacking the very point that God wants to establish His credibility on. Let me uh, check again for your uh, voice, Murray. If um, yeah, yeah. you can just go ahead and just talk again, and I'll just see if the, how that's coming through. Sure, sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I, uh, think I bring up a, up a good point, point that, that the, it, 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 it's a, a common interpretation, interpretation that we, are, we going are going to want to, uh, to uh, replace Israel, Israel. Therefore, therefore assume the punishment, punishment come to come to Israel, that, but at the same, same time, time, pray for, for, for uh, protection, protection from. Uh, the, 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 mm-hmm.
0: end, the end of yeah. end event, the two,
1: yeah. don't, two go don't go hand hand They, end. Are, they don't go hand-in-hand. And I think one there, of there, 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 I- there There's an audio issue, I'm gonna on mute, i we'll talk to later. Sorry, 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 everybody.
0: All right, sorry about that. So there seems to be there is an audio issue there. Yeah, okay, so what was I saying here? Yes, there was something I was gonna say to your point there, but we just need to be very, very specific about um, what God is doing for for Israel. Now, there were a couple of questions from last time. I think I'll go ahead and uh, answer those. So let me do that. Um, I'll go back to the scripture, actually. And Let me just uh, go on ahead to... uh, I do want to finish off Isaiah 48, I'll do that next week. But in the meantime, let me come back to Isaiah 47. Um, There was a really good question uh, from J.D. last week about enchantments and... um, uh, Stand now with your enchantments and with the multitude of your sorceries. Wherein you have labored from your youth. So, what is that? We need to address this uh, issue with the sorceries. So, let me just talk a little bit about that. And I see another question that just came up that I do want to address that as well, and I will. Um, But let me just uh, configure this. Okay. I just want to deal with this issue of sorceries. And I had mentioned um, last time that sorceries, in fact, if you look at, um, let me just go back to the scripture, this word sorceries in the Greek, in Revelation, where he says the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, and sorcerers. This word sorcerers is pharmacea or pharmaceus, and it means um, It's magic, but it also means drugs, a druggist, a poisoner, people involved in drugs, that's pharmakeia, sorceries. And I'll just make it very clear here, uh, we have to reach out to our Muslim brethren, uh, brothers and sisters, because they are fearful. The Quran is a dreadful book. If you want nightmares, if you believe that Allah is the true God, and you read the Quran, you live in permanent terror, permanent terror. Uh, They're unbelieving. They will never accept Christ. They will never accept that Jesus Christ has come to earth as God Because they are wired to reject that so they are unbelieving Abominable the things that if you are a devout Muslim if you're really going to take the Quran uh, seriously Then this is something that um, This is something that You are going to be involved in what God considers abominations Pedophilia, rape, theft, gang, gang rape, gang, uh, mass murder—all these, all the abominations of the earth, are authorized by the Quran and by the Hadith. Murderers, whoremongers, people who love prostitutes and and marriage and all these different things, uh, and sorcerers, idolaters—clearly, it's idolatry—and liars. It actually endorses lying. It tells you to lie. All these things. So Islam is capturing people and putting them in a state where they will have their part in the lake that burns with fire. So we have to preach this gospel and they have to see, they have to open the Bible and see that everything they've been taught about the Bible is false. But this concept of pharmakeia is really uh, fascinating. And let me just uh, show you something here that you may not have seen before. Uh, so let's just look at this. In terms of pharmakeia, here's an article that says drugs in war, so sorceries are drugs, what is captagon, the jihad pill used by the Islamic State militants. So these are pills that that jihadis take and it says here, in the past three months investigators across Europe have intercepted, intercepted thousands of captagon pills an amphetamine-based drug popular with the Islamic State militant group, nicknamed the jihadist drug, Capticon keeps users awake for long periods of time, dulls pain, and creates a sense of euphoria. According to one former militant who spoke to CNN in 2014, ISIS gave us drugs, hallucinogenic pills, that would make you go to battle not caring if you live or die this is sorcery, this is pharmacea. Given similar testimony from other fighters, experts say it seems likely that the hallucinogenic pills the militants took were captagon. And then he goes on to say here, they intercepted, they confiscated more than 600,000 captagon pills in a raid and arrested people for manufacturing the drug. And they found that they were destined for ISIS fighters. So this is very, very clearly uh pharmakeia that that the scripture is very clear that people involved in these things are going to be thrown into the lake of fire so let me uh go back now and see some other questions that i think are on the chat and uh so regarding the children of abraham are we the children of abraham absolutely we are and we are the first fruits and it's like there there is a process that god is bringing his people through which includes going through the furnace of affliction so that he can return to them and they can declare his glory. And we are going to help, we're gonna oversee this. Isaiah says that we will be the teachers and we will appear and disappear just the same way Christ appeared. And we're going to guide the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So they in turn, as the nation of priests, can facilitate salvation for the world. And that process is gonna take a thousand years. And, and during that whole process, the second death is going to hang over all, of, all human beings because they have to get this right. And at the end, there'll be the second resurrection, and all these people are going to come up, and the house of Israel and the house of Judah are going to come up in that resurrection, and they're going to be treated differently from everybody else. We see that in Ezekiel 37. And then the second death is still going to be hanging over the heads of all those who come up, in the second resurrection. John tells us that in chapter 20 of Revelation. And finally at the end of this whole process is the final judgment when people will finally be born into the family of God. But we as the children of Abraham who are first fruits, we go straight to the finish line. And the second death has no power over us. And we come out of this whole process to join Christ, to oversee it. So this this honor of the first fruits that we have is so high and so glorious. And I I fear that a lot of Christians are not taking it seriously. They don't realize that if we miss out on this, we miss out on everything. That this is such a, a, you know, when Christ came and he took his disciples and he taught them all these things. And then when the other Jews surrounded, he spoke to the other Jews in parables. And they said why do you speak to them in parables and he says because to you it's been given to understand these mysteries but to them it's not been given so that seeing they don't see and hearing they don't hear lest they should repent and it's not their time yet but it's your time i'm pulling out this first fruits early to to kind of uh fast track them to the finish line so that they can help me in this process of redeeming the house of israel and redeeming the house of judah and we're going to return with the Lord of hosts. We're gonna be part of the army that returns to put the world right. But yeah, we're the children of Abraham, but we're the first fruits children of Abraham. We go straight to the finish line. And then we help the other children of Abraham come through this whole process so that they can teach the rest of the world who can then be converted and come into Israel and also become the children of Abraham. But it's a whole long process. It's gonna take over a thousand years. And we as first fruits get to go straight to the finish line. Let me see if there's anything else I can see here. And I'll just uh, actually pop over to Facebook and see if I see anything there. And again, I I have to watch, uh, be careful with Facebook because it doesn't, I can't go back and see what the comments were. Uh, Counting the cost. Yeah, absolutely, Charlotte is so serious. It really is. It's so glorious and it's so serious and, and we just have to be about our father's business. And uh, to us, it's been given to understand the mysteries. We can't blame people who, even though we might tell them, uh, they have no idea what's going on. Uh, but we're just in this special category of people who understand. And so we have a great work, to do. there's a great responsibility on us. And if God says to the Jews, fear, don't fear the, the wicked, how much more to us not to be fearful? We should be very, very bold let me see if there's another question here okay so a question from lena what does it mean to come forth out of the waters of judah i, I looked at that and i don't have an answer right now so i'm going to take that for next week uh sister lena great question uh, that's in isaiah 48 i think it was verse uh, two or three that says uh, you, you are my people he says uh you who call upon the god of israel and uh you're known by the name of israel and you come forth out of the waters of Judah. So we know that the covenant, the northern tribes were divorced and God maintained a relationship with the south. And ultimately, all of Israel will come back through this covenant that remains with Judah. But uh, specifically what it means to come forth out of the waters of Judah, let, let me take that for next week. And let me see if there's anything else. I think that's it. Uh, what I'll do is we'll, we'll stop here and I'll have, we'll, we'll finish off chapter 48, God willing, next week. And I'll actually start with that question about the waters of Judah because I tripped over it today and I wanted to get, get into it, but the time was running out on me. Uh, so let's start there, God willing, next week. And and I'm not sure why uh, we couldn't get uh, Murray working there. We, we thought we had it sorted, but uh, I really do enjoy when, when Pastor Murray can participate and, and we can see and hear him. So last week we could hear him, this week we could see him. Uh, God willing, in the future, we'll see and hear him and appreciate uh, his contributions. Uh, Thanks so much for joining tonight. This is an ancient scripture. It's thousands of years old. It's very specific. It's very detailed. And it's true. What a God, what a mighty God we serve. Jesus Christ, what a Savior.